This is Focal Point for Tuesday, the 4th of November, 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Oh, I'm happy. Mel- a happy Melbourne Cup Day to you as well. <laughs> thanks, Gihan. It's the race, they call it the race that stops a nation, but uh, it hasn't stopped our recording of the Focal Point podcast because that's how devoted we are to uh, getting our recording done. That's right, and then we'll rush off to place a bet straight afterwards. Maybe. <laughs> we should we should probably explain to our non-Australian listeners all about the Melbourne Cup. It's, a, it's an annual horse race as part of the uh, Victorian Spring Racing Carnival, and it's the biggest the biggest of the races, certainly the the one that's got the biggest name and the biggest reputation. And it is the race that stops the nation, as you described, Chris, in Victoria, in fact. It's a public holiday today. Uh, the rest that's of right. Australia doesn't. Yeah, we don't have it, but uh, in Victoria, it's definitely a public holiday. But we might as well have it because uh, most workplaces throughout Australia shut down for an extended period over around lunchtime to uh, watch the race and run sweepstakes, and not much work gets done on uh, Melbourne Cup Day. That's right. I remember when I was working in an office, pretty much the whole morning was pretty much a write-off because early in the morning there'd be somebody who'd organise a sweepstake, there'd be then getting ready for the race itself, then anyone, everyone would crowd into the conference room to watch the race itself. And at the end of it, there'd be the, the, a few prizes given out and then we'd actually go back and start our working day. <laughs> That's how it works, or not. <laughs> yes. So, given that it's the Melbourne Cup today and it's a, it's a uniquely Australian thing, we thought we'd talk about the whole idea of the, the fact that the internet is now very international and anything you do and anything, information you consume or information you produce is quite likely to be outside just your own country or your, even your own region. It's, it's good, it's, it is very much international. That's right. It's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yes, it is. And in fact, I remember seeing something very recently, Chris, talking about the biggest internet population, because for a long time it was in the United States. And now it seems that China has the world's largest online population, beating the US. Yeah, recent surpassed this year, I think. And uh, the numbers that I tracked down were that uh, the Chinese online population is about 250 million, followed closely by the US online population of about 220 million. And I think coming in a distant third um, is the Japanese online population, which is around 90 million. Right, which is even higher than India, which is interesting and surprising a little bit for me. At the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if India um, overtook the Japanese online population in the near future. Yes, and I remember a few years ago when um, the United States was still the biggest online population, but I remember the time where there was a tipping point where the the research showed that more than 50% of Internet users were non-English speaking. So that's now changed to becoming even one country, uh, China, having a bigger online population than than the country which is generally considered to be the, the pioneers in the Internet, which is the USA. Yeah, certainly I would imagine that uh, the United States hosts the most websites, the greatest number of websites. I couldn't find some numbers to back that up, but uh, I think they still hold that number one spot. They probably send out the most amount of spam as well. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> there was some research, I talk about the spam thing, there was some research done a few years ago that said that most of the spam in the world came out of China, but it turned out to be American spammers who were just using Chinese web service because they were less secure That's and right. the, the infrastructure was a little bit uh, more amenable to sending out lots and lots of spam. So you referred me to something, Chris, which I think is a really interesting distinction because we've talked about, if we're talking about this whole idea of globalization, you made a, uh, an interesting point that there are two parts to it. There's internationalization and there's localization. Um, do you want to talk about those things? Sure. Yeah, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So the idea behind internationalization and, glo- and localization are that because um, computer systems such as websites need to service an international audience or group of users, then it's often important to make sure that uh, those systems can be internationalised. That is, they can support the various differences, regional differences in things like language and currency, time and date formats. So that's the process of supporting all those regional differences. And then localization is the pro- process of actually um, imp- um giving an instance of a particular region's currency, languages, time and date formats. So if I understand this correctly, so what you're saying is internationalization means that a, a website takes into account that it could have visitors from a number of different countries, a number of different cultures, mm-hmm. whereas localization means, I guess it also still takes that into account, but it means that it actually creates separate local versions of their website or, or other online service. Exactly. So it can support a wide range of them. And then when, say, someone from the U.S. comes along, it serves up the U.S. version of the website. When uh, an Indian or Chinese user comes along, it serves up the correct version for their particular locale. Okay, great. Great. So let's, uh, if we're talking about globalization of the Internet in general, it covers both those two things, isn't it? Internationalization and localization. That's right. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that websites do to be internationalized. Um, and I know that you talked about saying there's some that do, some that don't. So let's let's talk about some that do first. I guess the one that I use a lot is Google. And Google has done a lot to make sure that it serves an international audience. And it's obviously in its best interests, but it's also in our best interests. Um, so Google, if I just type in google.com, because it knows that I'm in Australia, it'll automatically take me to google.com.au as a default. So that's even something as simple as that is showing how Google can be um, can take into account your your location. That's right. And then when it um, then when it gives you search results, Gihan, it will localize those results by giving you by reordering the search listings that it serves up to you, so that they are localized, so that Australian search results that are more relevant to Australians are ranked higher than others that might not be. Yes, and even the ads on the side, uh, the Australian ads before the international ads, I've noticed that as well. That's right, that's, and that's quite important to Google, of course, because they want to make them as relevant as possible to uh, entice you to click on them. Yep, uh, and even some of the other Google services, like the Google Maps, so maps.google.com, um, I know that there used to be a time when I had to type in a full address if I had to type in my home address to find the map to it or to to, yeah, to display the map. I have to type in 8 Windage Place, Leaderville, WA, Australia. But now I don't need to do that uh, because I've just typed in 8 Windage Place, Leaderville, and Google knows roughly where I am in the world. Um, therefore, it finds the Leaderville that's close to me rather than some 
that's somewhere else in the world. Yeah, that, that's that's very clever and very useful. It saves, uh, makes Google a more attractive um, search engine because you don't have to provide all that extra context. It infers that uh, through other means. That's right, and it doesn't always work. And I think you and I have both experienced times where it will go off and find some Leaderville somewhere on the other side of the planet. That's right. <laughs> but generally, you can pick that up pretty quickly. That's Although right. The driving directions involve crossing continents. You know that there's a mistake. <laughs> yes, I did remember. Did I send this to you, Chris, about the, the truck driver in Europe who was trying to find his way to Gibraltar? And uh, he was traveling from Italy to Gibraltar, and he put that into his GPS system. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, Gibraltar is also a town in the UK, and it took him to uh, create a driving direction to that Gibraltar instead of Gibraltar in the Mediterranean. And uh, he didn't realize it until he got there and had to turn oh, around. Okay. Maybe that's why he's driving trucks. <laughs> Not wanting to disparage right. truck drivers, but um, maybe he should have realized sooner in his journey. Yes, so I guess that's one of the other things that you, even though there are sites that do these internationalization things, you should still think for yourself as well. Absolutely. <laughs> and other big brands like eBay, Amazon, and other brands which obviously have a vested interest in serving an international market will do that, won't they? They'll do the internationalization and the localization. Yeah, that's right. I recently had a tr- had some trouble with my uh, digital camera and I wanted to upload a new version of the firmware for it. So I went to the Sony, uh, sony.com and then it asked me in which country I was and then it took me to the Australian, uh, sony.com.au and I got the Australian firmware installed. Okay, and you had a note here about how does a website determine where you are? Sure, that's right. So at some point, uh, the website uh, needs to determine what your actual locale, locale is. Different websites go about that in different ways. Some of them just do it manually. For example, uh, with Google, if you, there used to be or there might still be a preferences link that you can click on. And then on the preferences page, you can specify which particular language you might want your um, search results served to you in. So, for example, even if you happen to be located in Australia, you might, uh, your first language might be Italian, let's say. So if you prefer to have your, uh, search results presented in Italian, then you can go and do that through by manually specifying a preference on in your Google preferences. So it can be done manually. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if it's a website on which uh, you have an account, then sometimes uh, it's inferred from your account settings as to what your locale might be. And then there are automatic techniques for websites to determine uh, what your particular locale is. For instance, your web browser, you might have your web browser might be um, localized to give to have buttons and other text presented in a particular region's language. The web browser can be queried, and then the website will know from your web browser settings what your locale is. And then finally, your uh, another automatic technique called geolocation is whereby your internet address, your IP address, tells what geographic location that uh, IP address corresponds to. Right. So for sites that do cater for international uh, visitors, they will do it in one or maybe more than one of those ways. So for example, you mentioned that Google, by default, will find where you are using the geolocation. But it also, as you said, it it still does give you those those preferences so that you you can customize it if you wish. That's right, because just because you happen to be located in geographically somewhere doesn't necessarily mean, for instance, that your preferred language is the, the default language for that country. So things like how your web browser is presenting information to you or settings that you've um, actually manually configured yourself uh, are the 
the way of changing those defaults. Another example that just comes to mind, Chris, is that uh, there was a site called Babelfish, which was owned by AltaVista, but now it's owned by Yahoo, Mm -hmm. which does language translation. And we're going to talk about how you can do that just a little bit later. But one of the features it gave you was a just a a little widget, as they're called now, where you stick a little... um, bit of code onto your website. So this is if you own a website um, where people just see eight, eight or ten different flags and if they want the website automatically uh, translated into one of those eight languages, they just click the flag on their browsers. There's another example of where a site can do some you know, fairly basic internationalization for different languages by just sticking, sticking that little AltaVista widget on their site. Okay, very handy. Yeah, so so let's talk about that. So now we talked about the sites that automatically do the internationalization. Let's look at the ones that aren't, the ones that if you go to a site and either deliberately or unintentionally, they have designed it so that it only caters for one country, one culture, one language, one time zone, one currency. What are some of the things that we can do? So let's, let's look at some of those things. Okay. Uh, I, guess, I guess the first thing is just to be aware, to be aware that just because you go to a site and it shows prices in dollars, that doesn't necessarily mean it's American dollars, Australian dollars, or Canadian dollars, or New Zealand dollars. You really have to know where the site is located. Um, or if it talks about something that uh, that's coming out in the summer, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Australian summer is going to be the same as the Northern Hemisphere summer, for example. Yeah, that's exactly right, So, Gihan. You need to be just aware that some information hasn't been localised to your particular locale and language and so forth. So, yeah, just having that in the back of your mind most of the time is uh, is a good first rule. Yes, and and some providers are quite good that way. So, for example, when I run I run monthly teleseminars and I have people mostly calling in from Australia, but I do have some some from New Zealand, some from Canada, some from the UK, and I'm very careful to say that the time and date that it's running, I will give the time in the the most common time zones, which are the Australian ones plus the New Zealand one. But I'll also then give them a link to a website where they can go and find out the time themselves uh, and do the time time and date conversion uh, for their own location. And even though I go to that effort, sometimes people will miss the teleseminar. For example, so I'll say it's on Wednesday morning at 9.30 in Perth and in the U.S., they will miss it because it'll be it'll be Tuesday night and yeah. they won't they'll wait till Wednesday to do the time time and date conversion. Right, <laughs> miss the boat. Yes. Uh, so some providers do make it uh, try and make it easy for you, but some of them don't. So so there are things that you might have to do as a consumer to still um, do the conversions yourself. And what about as a producer of information, Gihan? So you've just mentioned that uh, you have that in mind and you do things like provide people with the the way of converting time zones. Yes, yes. So, so time zones is one. And the thing that I do with time zones is I send people to timeanddate.com, a very easy website where you can go and do time and date conversions between any cities around the world. And it's not just capital cities, but it's a, it's a number of locations. It knows about things like summertime, daylight saving time. Even in quirky things, like in Western Australia here, we have a three-year trial of daylight saving time, and it knows about that. So somewhere, somewhere they're actually bringing that all up to date and keeping it up to date. Yeah. So def- 
so definitely time and date. Uh, and the other thing is currency conversion. So I think those are the two big things, Chris, the time and dates and currency. If I publish my price in Australian dollars, as I do, in the shopping cart when somebody goes to buy it, it has a little currency converter in there which gives them the approximate price in their currency at today's rate. So at the point that they make a purchase, they can first see that it's in Australian dollars and second, convert to their own currency if they want to. Right, okay. Um, we mentioned the Babelfish service, Chris, and I know that you want to talk a little bit about that as well and maybe some other translation services as well. Yeah, that's the one that's been going for the longest, Babelfish. So, as you said, it started out as an AltaVista website and uh, has now been acquired by Yahoo. The other one that I'm aware of is Google's translation service, which is translate.google.com which is pretty much the same sort of thing. It has a group of languages between which you can uh, translate text um, and can you also point it at a particular URL and get it translated? I'm not so sure about that. I know you can with Babelfish. Yes. So with Babelfish, if you find a web page that you think this is exactly right but I can't understand it because it's in a foreign language, you can just copy the URL and put it into Babelfish and it will do a translation for you. Um, and I found that the translations are good enough for understanding, mm. um, probably not good enough for, for republishing. Yeah. The the simple test that I do is that, say, I'm translating something from French to English, or English to French, and then I'll translate it back into English okay. and just see how close the result is. And quite often it's fairly different. Right, okay. And we've mentioned currency conversion, so you, um, I'm not sure which tools you use to do that, but um, the two that I've used are one called oandacom which is quite good, and another one... I've not Sorry, I've not used the second one, which is xe.com. It's quite popular, I've heard, but... Um, I've not used it. XE.com is the one that I use. Okay, right. Uh, and I use it both as a consumer. So as if I just want to do a quick currency conversion, I will just go to XE.com and the major currencies are listed. So you just say 100 Australian dollars equals and then choose from a drop-down menu, say US dollars, and it does the currency conversion pretty quickly. I think ONA.com does a fairly similar thing, doesn't it? It does, exactly. It does, yep. Um, and I also make that available on my website. That's one of the currency conversion links that's available if, if people want to convert to their own currency. Okay, great. The, the other thing you reminded me of, Chris, is the the fact that Google itself can do simple currency conversion just in the search box. It does. That's right. It's got all kinds of um, conversions, not just currency. It can do units conversion. It can do um, uh, time zone conversions as well. Uh, so, yes, if you do something like type 100 AUD to GBP, it will tell you the value of 100 Australian dollars in Great British Pounds. Um, and as an adjunct to that, if you happen to have the Google toolbar installed in your browser, then all you need to do is type it into the Google toolbar um, text field, and then a little drop-down will appear after a few seconds with the result of that conversion. So you don't even have to go to the Google website. So I found that immensely useful. Okay. And you use Firefox as well, don't you, Chris? Yeah, so I have the Google toolbar in Firefox, but I know that it's also available for Internet Explorer and maybe for some of the other browsers too. Right. So I should get the Google toolbar again because I used to have it in Internet Explorer and then I found for some reason it wasn't compatible with Firefox, but I think it's oh, really? worth getting. Yeah, if it, uh, it's probably now, there may have just been something odd on my computer, so I must try it again, because the Google toolbar is and um, was and is very, very useful. Absolutely, yes, it's certainly worth, ha certainly worth getting, that's right. Yeah. 
The other, the other thing I'd mentioned, Chris, is, and we were just talking about this briefly before we started the call, is just the mis, uh, the, the differences in language. So people, like we mentioned the thing about summer and winter, but also at the moment, um, it's November as we're recording this, and here in, here in Australia, it's springtime. Uh, and in the US, it's what we would call autumn, but what they, they would call fall. And I was listening to a podcast recently where uh, the American host was surprised that some of, their, uh, some of their guests on the show didn't know what fall was until they realized that he was really talking about autumn. So they're, they're just language and cultural differences that you have to be aware of in com- when communicating in an international audience. Yeah, it's tricky. The the one that you mentioned beforehand also was to table a document, uh, that that turn of phrase has a completely opposite meaning in some cultures. And so, yeah, I wasn't even aware, aware of that difference. So you can, and the other one was fortnight. You also mentioned that uh, you don't, you try to avoid using the phrase or the word fortnight because it's not as widely understood as we might have thought. That's right. So the fortnight's a good example of a word that I would use all the time in normal conversation, talking to friends, even presenting my seminars or workshops uh, live in Australia. But in any writing that I do that go that has the potential to go online, I won't use it because American users don't use the, the, the term fortnight. So I always say every two weeks, every time I'm writing something. Right, okay. Well, we're getting to the end of our time, and I guess this is something that we could talk about for a long time because there are a lot of those little subtle differences like that, as well as some of the some of the big differences. Um, what would you like to say in summary or conclusion, Chris? Well, just um, recapping what we've said, that uh, many popular websites are doing a good job of internationalization and localization, but every now and then even those websites get it wrong. Um, so you just have to have that in the back of your mind that uh, this. The, thing, the information that you're getting presented to you on the internet or online uh, might not be localised to your particular locale. Uh, so we've given you a few tools to, to help you uh, localise some information to translate it in terms of language or currency, times and dates. Uh, so we can provide uh, links on the blog posting that corresponds to this podcast, Kihan, I'm sure. We will. We'll include okay. all the links that we, all the websites that we've talked about. And yes, uh, like Gihan, I suggest uh, you install the uh, Google toolbar in your browser, as uh, it does some of those uh, conversions straight from the toolbar, rather than having to go to a different website to do the conversion. Yeah, Google is good, isn't it? Google is good. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to the Google Phone being available, just on a little bit of a tangent. Okay. Because I think the Google Phone will be will be very valuable, and I know there are things like the iPhone and the Samsung phone at the moment, which have things like Movie Player and GPS and Web and email. And I think the Google Phone will be just as good, if not better, than anything else that's out there. That's just my prediction. Okay. Good. And the other thing, just to, for for me to finish off, is I'll, I'll like to come back to the whole Melbourne Cup thing. Because there's an interesting link because one of my clients, in fact, my very first speaker client is a Sydney-based speaker, an expert in internet marketing for the hospitality industry. His name is Max Hitchens, and he's also a Melbourne Cup expert, so he knows the first, second, and third place getters for all the Melbourne Cups for over 100 years. So I want to credit him and get, and pay tribute in a, in, a, in a sense because Max is somebody who really has embraced this idea of internationalization. He has this attitude of always thinking about things from the other person's point of view, which is a wonderful thing to 
to have as a friend, as a colleague, as somebody that you that you have in your life. And in particular, when we're talking about technology and we're talking about the internet, he is one of these people who's always thought about who are the people who are visiting my website, who are the people who are interacting with me, and how can I make them feel comfortable, not just look at it from my point of view. Just as a little example, when he came to Western Australia and he gave a presentation, and there was only one football team in Western Australia at the time, the West Coast Eagles, he changed his PowerPoint presentation slides to blue and gold because <laughs> they, were, they were the color of the West Coast Eagles. And he does that sort of thing. So he's always thinking about the other person's point of view. And in, on the internet, he has got a wide international o- audience. In fact, he was... Uh, he got an award some years ago about world's consummate speaker in an international publication. And it's not surprising that people love him all around the world because he does think about the international or the other person's point of view whenever he's presenting anything. And I think this whole internationalization, localization, globalization idea, if you embody that principle of always thinking from the other person's point of view, I think um, it's a it's a huge skill for the 21st century. Absolutely, yeah. So thanks, Chris. Thanks again. Um, we will have, the, as you said, we'll have all the links up on the, on the blog post that goes along with this podcast so that you can get all of that at gihanperera.com. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Speak to you then, Gihan. Thanks for your time. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.